0: for His amazing grace by which we've been redeemed. Well, uh, the last command, the last command that Jesus gave His disciples before He went to that old rugged cross was this. That's what He said. A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. And then um, I'm going to ask God to give us great grace as we think about these words of Jesus. Father, what a great privilege this is for multiple local churches to gather together to study the Word of God. It's, It's refreshing to us. It reminds us that uh, as much as I'm sure each one of us loves our local church, that your kingdom is bigger than our own local church, both here in Rocky Mount and in Nash County and certainly around the world. What a great privilege it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I pray as we open up your word tonight that um, this precious command of the Lord Jesus, first of all, we'd understand what he says, and then he'd give us grace to... To, to be people who really obey this command. That by this, all people will know that we are your disciples, if we love one another. Give us insight, we pray, to the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, I'm from Rocky Mount. How many of you are from Rocky Mount? Ho- Rocky Mount is home. Now, I consider Rocky Mount home. That was a lot more people over here than over here, by the way. Is there something going on with that? Rocky Mount side, non-Rocky Mount side? Okay. So, I consider Rocky Mount home, but I was actually born south of here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And every summer, my mom would load the three boys, I was the youngest of three boys, up in her car, and we would drive to Smyrna, Georgia, where her parents lived. And my mom didn't have a lot of rules, but one of her rules was this. When we were on that drive, she controls the radio. Now, for three boys growing up in the 80s, my mom did not select music that we uh, thought was the greatest. She was completely into early 80s country music. We're talking about country music when country music was country music, right? So heard of some of these folks we'd be driving and I already thought that, that the, the drive itself the length of the drive from Fayetteville to Smyrna was intolerable and then blaring out of these speakers was Barbara Mandrell you know what I'm saying Alabama Ronnie Millsap there's one song that I remember quite well it must have been my formative years that all these songs were played because they're still stuck in here they won't get out it's a Johnny Lee song. He's one who made it famous, but it was actually written by the great theologian Wayland Jennings. Here's the lyrics of the song. I'm not going to sing it. Looking for love. Wait a minute. Some of you know this song, don't you? <laughs> Looking for love. All right, some of you are going to, you know, break out in the chorus here. Looking for love in all the wrong places. It is kind of hard to say the lyrics without singing it. I just sort of practiced this. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching your eyes. Looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. And and though it's an early 80s country song, it, it is a little bit true to life that most people in Rocky Mount they are looking for love. However, Wayland's got it right, doesn't he? Most people, though they're looking for love, they're looking in all the wrong places. So, John 13 tells us where to look, and in particular, whose face to look for it in, right? It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. So John 13, verses 34 and 35 is what we begin with. So we've got a real simple um, outline. Uh, first of all, we'll read it again, then we'll put it in context, ask a couple of questions about this statement, and then make some observations um, about what it particularly means that we would love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. So there you go, John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, in other words, by the loving one another as Jesus has loved us, people will know that you all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So a couple of uh, quick observations is, uh, is, again, this is the last command Jesus gives before he goes to Calvary, before he's crucified. And this command is really given um, uh, in between two wonderful illustrations of this very command. One we're going to look at is uh, Jesus gives this right after he washes the disciples' feet, and then he gives it, again, right before he goes to the cross. And so so Jesus always says the right thing, in the right place, at the right time. So I think it's helpful for us to know when he gives this command, he's uh, given an example of it, uh, the, what we'll study in detail, when he washes the disciples' feet, and, and then of course, this culminates. His love for us culminates when he goes to the cross. Let's ask a, a, uh, one quick question about this text, is uh, what makes it new? Jesus said, a new command I give you that you should love one another. First of all, I I do want to highlight the word command, right? He doesn't say this is a suggestion or or a good idea or if you have time to get around to doing this. As Christians, can we all agree on this? We live as those under authority. Jesus Christ said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And so we live as those under authority. So we take this command very seriously. So he says, this is a commandment I give. Now, why does he say it's a new command? Haven't we been commanded in the Scripture previously up to this point to love other people, right? Uh, We we heard it last night, Deuteronomy 6. We're commanded to love our neighbor in the Old Testament, aren't we? In fact, couldn't we sum up the law and the prophets this way? That you want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So even hearing that verse, could you hear what's different in John 13. What's new about this? What's new? It's this phrase. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. That's what's new about this, right? Now we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us. I want to quote um, what John Piper said about this text. He, he, he says um, in his sermon on this uh, text, I see two ways that the commandment to love each other is new in these words. First, the command is new because it's a command to live out the love of Jesus. And second, the command is new because it is a command to live on the love of Jesus. Isn't that great? The words as I have loved you contain both a pattern for our love for each other and they contain a power for our love for each other. And, and, and Jesus establishes what that pattern is Here, we'll back up a few verses to the beginning of John chapter 13, because Jesus gives them an object lesson about what he speaks about. Now, I know, I know, the washing of the disciples' feet, for most of us, is going to be a fairly familiar scene, but let's go here to John 13. We'll read verses 1 through 16, and then make some, uh, hopefully, wonderful and edifying observations about Christ-like love. Beginning in verse 1, now, before the feast of the Passover, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand that I, what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Well, on the basis of this great example of Jesus' love for us, I'll, I'll give you a few uh, observations or exhortations, if you will, about Christ-like love. And putting these things together to love one another. As Christ has loved us, how has he loved us? Uh, first of all, just note that Christ-like love is selfless. Jesus, Scripture says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and what he had come from, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, um, kind of in my own way of thinking, if, if someone has all authority, they've come from God, they're on their way back to God, um, the last thing you might suppose they would do is what Jesus does, right? Come from God, going back to God, all authority is mine, and he rose from the table. And I know we know this story, but hopefully by God's grace, it'll Uh, kind of surprise us as it should he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet Jesus rose from the table laid aside his garments It's a great picture isn't it of Philippians 2 5 through 10 have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself a man of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know what comes next? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray already in your life, your knee is bowed, your tongue is confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Scripture clearly teaches it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when you will bow and confess that he's Lord. And he's t- to the glory of God the Father. We'll leave that out at the end of Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. And this one who's got the name that is above every name, You see where he is the night before he's betrayed. He's on his hands and knees washing the disciples' feet. The one to whom every knee will bow is himself on his knees washing their feet. And think about the hands there of Jesus as he washes their feet. It's one of the last moments before they have nails driven through them. It's one of the last things he does with his hands before they're forever bearing the marks and the scars of his crucifixion. And here's the shocking thing. According to Luke's account, not long after this happened, here's Luke's account, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. I, I love lists, and anytime I see a list, I kind of get caught up in it, you know, a top ten list. and So, so uh, anytime I come across the greatest super bowl moments i got to see the countdown greatest nba players that article came out this week i had to see who they ranked number one i i can't help but wonder what criteria the disciples were using in this argument right which of them was the greatest did did james and john bring up the moment when they said we must be the greatest because we 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 told god that we ought to call fire down from heaven and destroy a samaritan village y'all remember that moment it's our great moment Maybe maybe Andrew said he was the best at passing out the loaves and the fish. He did that the fastest. Did Peter said he set the world record because he stood on the water for 8.45 seconds. And then Thaddeus comes along, and well, we don't really know anything that Thaddeus did. So I don't know what he would have said. I don't know what he, what his point was. We we don't know what criteria they're using. And I want to encourage you that Jesus never says, don't be great, but he does redefine what great means. We don't know what they were fussing about or what their arguments were, but we do know that before that argument took place, each one of them sat around the table and not a single one of them thought it was his responsibility to get up from the table and wash the other's feet. You can kind of feel that they're all waiting, right? Should be Thaddeus. Again, he's not done much yet. Thaddeus, he's maybe Peter. Peter, always the first to do something, or James or John or Andrew, Matthew. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus who gets up and begins to wash their feet. Christ-like love is selfless. How are we to love one another? right? We well, can still be like them. We're kind of waiting around. Who's going to really do the humble thing, the, the in some ways, h- humiliating thing? Do you not understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Now, one of the uh, responsibilities I was given was to teach on love in the local church. So applying this to your local church, who does all the things that nobody else wants to do in your local church? Give you a few ideas off the top of my head, because that's what washing feet was, right? In that day, in that culture, uh, particularly at the homes of the wealthy, uh, there would always be a servant on hand who, one of the responsibilities of the servant was to wash the feet, because no cars, you already know this, right? And so you walk along the dusty roads, and you get where you're going, and the feet are dirty, and Nobody really wants that job. So who changes the diapers in your nursery? Who takes out the garbage? Who shows up early to get things set up? Who stays late to clean up? Who visits the shut-ins and stays late at the hospital? Who drives the elderly to their doctor appointment? Who makes the meal for the new mom, right? Who who goes out of their way to learn the name of the first-time visitor? Most of you are thinking of people's faces, aren't you, right? And and the answer is, who does these things? The answer is, not in a braggadocious way, but the answer is the most Christ-like does these things. As I have loved you, so love one another. I can't help, before we move on to this next point, that there came a moment when he got to Judas, right? The, The text kind of highlights the fact that Judas was there Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. We, we know that Judas doesn't leave until later. That, that, that takes place in John 13, verse uh, 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night, right? And he didn't skip over him. He didn't get to Peter and Andrew, and then, okay, there's Judas, and we're going to bypass Judas. Is there someone that you are prone to skipping over? Be sacrificial up to a point, right? Christ-like love is selfless love. Judas had already decided to betray Jesus, and Jesus knew it. These are the very feet. He washes the very feet that are soon walk out the door and carry out the betrayal. In public, Judas will betray Jesus with an act of friendship. Remember, he betrayed him with a kiss. In private, Jesus serves Judas. Now, this isn't a major point, but I do think it's worth observing. There are some people, per, uh, metaphorically speaking, there are some people who let Jesus wash their feet whose hearts are far from him. They'll be around, they hear, they know about, But where would any of us be if Jesus didn't love his enemies? Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one may dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet his enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son, Want some good news? How much more then shall we be safe from the wrath that is to come? Uh, Christ-like love is selfless. Secondly, quickly, Christ-like love is, is enduring. John 13, 1. Now, when the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, he was going to return to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, it say he loved them to the end. Amen? How is Jesus going to love you? He's going to love you to the end. Uh, aren't you glad it doesn't say, uh, having loved those who are in the world, He put up with them to the end. Right? He tolerated them to the end. Christ-like love endures. His love for you lasts to the end. He didn't used to love you more than he loves you now, and he's not going to love you more in the future than he loves you now. This is good news for us, right? There is nothing that you can do to make him love you more or make him love you less. His love is enduring. The Last Supper is the last picture of the cross before the cross Itself, And I think Jesus perhaps needed to give them a picture of the cross because most of these guys aren't going to be there themselves, right? The only person who's going to be there is the one writing this text, John the Apostle, right? So Jesus is giving them another picture. In fact, that might be one of the reasons that he says, uh, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. The disciples didn't deserve to have Jesus wash their feet, but they needed him too and they certainly didn't deserve to have Jesus die in their place, but we most assuredly needed him to. You now we can lose sight of this because we don't see true love practiced much in the world, but Christ's love is not fickle. It's not moody. It's not inconsistent. I mean, you track along with the narrative of the Scripture. Adam and Eve did the one thing he told them not to, right? Cain strikes down his own brother, Abraham grew restless and sought to bring about the child of promise through his own ungodly plans. Isaac's not this great dad, is he? He prefers one of his children to the other. Jacob's a liar. He's a deceiver. Jacob's sons most assuredly don't get along, right? Moses is a murderer, and he's got anger issues. David leaves a lot to be desired as a faithful husband. Solomon, for all his wisdom, is pretty foolish. We could go on and on and on. This story, this book, is about a God of great grace. It's not a book about uh, God putting up with people who are okay. It's about a bridegroom who's faithful to the end. He loved his own to the very end. And not one of us, before we keep harping on Adam and Eve and Cain and so on and so forth, not one of us could claim to do any better, could we? There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us, The only begotten Son of God. He is righteous. And where do we find him here? Washing their feet. Oh, God, give us grace that we haven't heard it so much that it has ceased to stun us. It's an enduring love. Christlike love is selfless, and in Christ-like love is enduring. I want you to turn with me for a moment over to First Corinthians chapter 13. You know well is often referred to as the love chapter written to a local church where they were certainly having a hard time loving each other First Corinthians begins with Paul saying it's been reported to me by some of Chloe's people that there are divisions among you and we get to 1 Corinthians 13 so helpful in knowing how love endures It's going to tell you what love is and many of you already know this text but Christ-like love endures. And, and so look at, uh, we'll just read verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope, hopes all things, and here's our word, endures all things. Now, um, I can't remember where I first read it, so like, cite it accurately. But um, sermon that I heard it said said so you can take that word love out of the text and insert Jesus' name, and it reads well, doesn't it? Jesus is patient. Anybody here have a testimony that Jesus has been patient with you? Is Jesus kind? Is an envy or boast? Where do we find him again? <laughs> He's on his washing their feet. He's not rude. Be careful if Jesus does not insist on his own way. <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he's not irritable or resentful. We could, we could go on and we most assuredly say that his love endures. But if we just uh, uh, did the same uh, practice, but now insert your name here, right? So I would read it, Brandon is patient and, and kind, and then you begin to go, go through it. And... And perhaps the Holy Spirit would allow you, by His grace, to to reveal some things we might need to work on. I can't get past the first word, right? Now, but this is the kind of love that God has, enduring love, and it is the command that we should love one another in this way. Uh, I was sharing with my church family not long ago that um, I I had a, a... this is an ongoing issue in, in my life, had, had set out this uh, workout plan that I was gonna adhere to. And so I was uh, exercising with a little DVD at our house and uh, my, f- my five-year-old walks in, Priscilla's her name. And um, transparency here, I'm in terrible shape, right? So, so I'm trying and, and, uh, to exercise and I'm on the ground, sweaty mess, Priscilla walks in, this is really what she does. She gets on her face, and she starts praying. And she says, Lord, please don't let Daddy die. That's what she <laughs> said. That's what she said. That's what she said. She's not kidding. And, and she had no more gotten the words out of her mouth than the in-shape guy on the TV says, all right, everybody, warm-up's over, right? So, so she even looked up at that and said, what, what, is that? what does that mean? Um, wh- what are we trying to, to get at is loving people In some way is our warm-up. All the other one another's in the Bible. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another. Stir up one another. Instruct one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. They all stem off what? Love one another as I have loved you. So Christ's love is selfless. Christ's love is enduring quickly. Christ-like love points others to the cross the water in the basin and the towel only clean so deep you know what i mean it's a picture but they need more than this and all the people looking for love in all the wrong places need more than this we love one another but there's a purpose behind it the love of christ points others to jesus and as we love one another in this way uh, we're going to point one another to Jesus. And that's not something that needs to happen one time in your life when you come to conversion, right? No matter how much you mature in the Lord, you're constantly needing people to point you back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. How has God demonstrated his love for us? It's in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I had to come to a point in my life where I really believed that statement because sometimes I think I wanted him to demonstrate his love in some other way, Right? If he really loved me then, and then I start creating all sorts of scenarios, and these circumstances would have worked out, and that diagnosis wouldn't have come, and this would have gone right, and that wouldn't have happened. No, the Bible, the eternal word of God says, here's how God has chosen to demonstrate his love. And the truth of the matter is, the manner that he's chosen to demonstrate far surpasses what other replacement demonstration we'd be able to come up with. Amen? He demonstrates his love, and I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. So where does God want to call me back to? on this matter of love, to Christ dying. So if we love one another, our Christ-like, selfless, enduring love ought to be pointing others to Jesus. Jesus did not ascend back to heaven after the Last Supper. It wasn't finished yet. As a matter of fact, even their own ability to ultimately obey this command requires him to do something else. We need a cleansing far deeper than just having the dirt washed from our feet. We know this, right, friends? We need a cleansing that doesn't come from that basin. We need a cleansing that comes only from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, he's not finished yet. We didn't deserve it. We cannot repay it. And this is how we're to love one another. Uh, Greatly encouraged that as Jesus serves them, he's not grumbling about it. I, I think in my own life this is something that I'm that I'm learning that He does this joyfully. Hebrews teaches us this, right? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He does despise its shame, but for the joy, the joy of pleasing His Father. So as you love, and as you serve, and as you put others first, and as you have enduring love, even as you love your enemies, we don't do it um, in a grumbling sort of way. Right? Can we all agree that this whole matter of washing feet is unpleasant? Right? Not something anybody wants to sign up for. Certainly, crucified for sins that are not your own. And then my final point Christ like love is selfless, it's enduring, it points others to Jesus. And then Christ like love, according to Jesus, is the distinguishing marker of Jesus' disciples. All right? Call uh, conclude where we started. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you regularly attend church, if you tithe, if you volunteer. You no, know, he says if you if you have love for one another. Should recognize by this, all, all people will know that you are my disciple. It includes those, those outside of the church. I think what Jesus is saying, in large part, is those that don't follow Jesus are first made aware of who his followers are by how they love one another. Now, here's just here's this fundamental rule of humanity. Most people, most people settle or go or pursue where what. They really believe they are loved. Some settle, and settle is not the right verb, but, 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 but some people are devoted to the church because it's in the church. Scripture's teaching us that people should be loved. But some people are devoted, I don't know, they spend their time at the bar or at the game or so. People just go where they are really loved. Now, we're all that to be. At all to be in the local church. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. I think back to a, a real vulnerable time in my own life. We had moved from Fayetteville to Rocky Mount on the move. We listened to the 80s country, so I was already in a bad mood, and then, and then relocated, and knew school, knew everything, and um, I did something I had not done in a really long time. I went to church a Sunday night. My, my brother had been invited by a fellow classmate to church at his school. So uh, all my awesome young people that are in the room, invite your friends to church. They might actually come. And, and then they might bring their little brother with them. I remember this so, uh, so clearly is I uh, went in the church, first time we'd ever been there, and I'm just hanging by a thread. You know what I mean? New place, already hadn't been that great. And uh, we're approaching where the youth group is meeting. And I walked up to the door and I peeked in, and I didn't recognize anybody in that whole room, not one. Now, if I'd lived close enough, I would have walked out the door and gone home. I was just, you know what I'm talking about? That close to just turn around and leaving. And this, this girl shouts out, hey, y'all come on in. And I'm still thinking, oh, no. she said, you need sit beside me. I said, okay. It's a small thing. Well it's not really that small, is it? Somebody took initiative. Just a simple thing. Speak. Hello. Welcome. Come in. Well, we won't go into all the details, but I'm still sitting beside her at church. I married her, and I'm not saying that's how it always will work out. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. But it wasn't too long after that that in that place I met Jesus. Jesus. Christ-like love is selfless. I'm going to have a few very simple application questions. Would would you define your life right now, in this season of life, as selfless? I'm putting others first. I don't enter my local church thinking, uh, how is everybody else here going to serve me? I don't enter my local church thinking, who's going to get up and wash the feet? You know what I'm saying? Uh, And and it's enduring. Life is selfless hard. And what we need in the local church is love that endures, love that endures, love for each other that endures. There are going to be times that we get on one another's nerves, right? But love endures. We got to realize how uh, high the stakes are. It, uh, Christ-like love points others to the cross, and then Christ-like love is the distinguishing mark of the disciples of Jesus. So in conclusion, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, now we need grace to to not be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves but give us grace in our local churches to be doers of this command it's not a new suggestion it's not a new idea it's, it's the command of a savior who humbled himself exemplified this command in washing his disciples feet father give us grace to never think that we're too good that we're too or too whatever to not serve and love people I pray that, that you'd give us grace at each of our local churches. Your people are marked by how we love one another. And that all the people in Rocky Mount will be able to recognize who your disciples are by how we love one another. Lord, thank you for this great privilege it's ours to, to study your word together. And again, Father, I pray you'd give us grace to apply this to our lives and that... Uh, From this moment on now that that there be more and more people that are obedient to this glorious command that it's our joy to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're gonna take five